Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. From the After 9 Podcast Studios, this, this is After 9 with Scott and Kat. Hey now! Howdy, fellas. All right. I don't know. I don't. Okay, Kate, we got to just, we haven't been, we haven't, we didn't do the podcast yesterday, most people know. Um, we got a great text from from someone today while we were doing our morning radio show. And we love your text messages. You can text about the podcast too, by the way. We do read all those texts eventually. If we don't read it right away, we will. one 915 show And there is a loyal podcast listener. I wish I had your name. Please let us know what your name is. But they've listened to every single episode, so they certainly missed yesterday. They were like, what's happening? I need my podcast for the day. I've listened to literally every one. <laughs> but of course, um, in case you missed it on Monday, we let you know that there's a uh, there's good reason why we couldn't do a podcast. Well, I don't know if it's good for everybody, but <laughs> why don't you, Scott, explain uh, what happened yesterday, your day in court? Okay. I am, for those who don't know, in the process of getting a divorce. And when I say in the process, because it really is a process— we, uh, when my soon-to-be ex-wife and I separated, there was uh, a couple of attempts to try and work it out between us, and, and we disagreed on a couple of different things, like a lot of couples do, so it had to go to the courts to make a decision. We separated six years ago. Yeah. I had no kids when you separated. <laughs> now I have two, almost both school-age children. Like, how effed up is that? Yeah, it's... Um, it's been a long, long process, but I mean, I'll point out COVID did not help. And yeah, and we've yeah. had other court hearings before. However, this was the first one in person because of COVID. All of our other hearings had been done virtually on Zoom. So I was actually in a courtroom yesterday with a judge and a court reporter and a and stenographer your, and, and your soon to be ex and my soon to be ex wife. Okay. Same. Yeah, I haven't been in the room with her for for years. Yeah. So it was. Um, I think anytime. You go to court, it's intimidating. Unless you're just a real shithead that's in court all the time because you're a criminal. Yeah. But or a lawyer or something like that, maybe who's like, ah, oh, another day. Yeah. And those lawyers, I mean, it becomes very routine for them. But for the average person, it's anything but routine. And I was in the Milton Courthouse, the one on Steeles, which is just a dive. I don't oh, yeah. understand what the Ministry of the Attorney General is doing to keep that courthouse open when there's much nicer and more modern buildings. For example, they have a cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Makes sense for a courthouse where a lot of people work. Yeah, they don't actually serve any food, though. It's just vending machines. What? I don't know why they call that a cafeteria. Oh, they should at least have something. Something, right? Like I mean, a cafe with some fresh food. That's just one of the issues okay. with that particular courthouse. But when we were in there, I, I remember thinking to myself, Wow. This is for real. Like, if that judge says jump, I got to ask how high, because there's no questioning the judge. They are the Mm -hmm. final decision on all of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I admit I was a little rattled yesterday. It was a stressful process, and it's not even done yet. Yesterday was the settlement conference, and when you're going through a divorce that's going to go to court, 
before you get to a trial, so to speak, you've got to have a settlement conference. And that's where the lawyers can try and work it out. You can take another chance to try and work it out with your uh, former significant other. And if you can't work it out at the settlement conference, then there's another hearing where you discuss how the trial's going to work. And then you eventually have another hearing, which is the actual trial. And so we're about three or four steps away from the end at this point, Kat. Okay, all right. So it did not end yesterday. You are still legally married? Is that how it's... Or legally separated? How does that work? Uh, well, we're definitely separated. You're separated, but I mean, but we just, are still also married. Right, right, right. And uh, yeah, wow, it's, that it's been nuts. six years. So I'll certainly not give you any details on no, this because no, nobody should be asking for details. That's between uh, my ex-wife and I. Yeah. However, I'll tell you, if you guys can, if you've just decided that your your marriage is over, that there is just nowhere to go from here, it must end. You guys have to go your separate ways. Guys, do anything humanly possible to negotiate a settlement with your significant other. And that means compromise. And and if you can find a way to work it out with them, you will both be so much further ahead Mm -hmm. financially because the cost of lawyers and court fees and for some reason we're still faxing and photocopying things. I don't know why, but I have to pay for all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the cost is astronomical. And it's true what they say. The only people that get rich when a divorce happens are the lawyers. Yep. Yep. And and if I can make one more recommendation, Mm -hmm. I'm going to suggest that you should probably invest in a good lawyer. There are definitely some good ones out there and definitely some bad ones out there. And and I saw a bit of both yesterday. So you want to invest in a good lawyer. Make sure that that you have all your paperwork done. It's a shitty process and and you have nothing to hide. No secrets because... Every single thing you've got to disclose, and and the whole thing is just awful. So yeah. do yourself a favor. Well, first off, try and make your relationship work. Sure. If it can't work, <laughs> if it can't work, then you have to uh, try everything you can to work it out between the two of you. Because if it goes to court, it's a shitty process, and it, you could end up just like me, six years, yeah. still not divorced. And that's not even involving like um, young kids because there's people who like for them it's like no because what has to do with my little kids right and that's not even little kids involved it still can be like this it can still be a sticky situation yeah that's great advice I think I think a lot of people probably have asked you advice September since you've talked about it it, it's actually because I talked about it and I'm not afraid to talk about it I'm just I'm trying to be conscious of the fact you're still in it you're still in it so of course you're not don't 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 say anything that you think you shouldn't or you should wait to say you know what I mean right (laughs) I am still in it but I'm also uh I have talked about it and I know that there's a lot of people who are going through it and they heard oh Scott's getting divorced I should ask him uh, about this or about that or hey they say I should take this deal what do you think I'm not qualified to give you that legal advice. I'm really not. But I will tell you that avoid court at all costs if possible. Because it will cost you all the costs. Yes, Kat, it's crazy. And you know what? If you're wrong, you may end up paying their costs as well. And and it is just a freaking mess. Uh, Let's move on. We've got other stuff to talk about on this episode of After 9. And we mentioned this on our radio shows this morning. And we will again this afternoon, maybe even tonight. Yesterday, Premier Ford announced the province is doing a number of different things to try and get more police officers Mm -hmm. on the ground. So 70 recruits per cohort are going to be added to the basic constable program. So there's going to be 550 cops now each time they do the constable training program. They usually run it three times a year. 
Now they're going to run it four times a year. So we're talking 2,200 new cops a year, which isn't a ton between all of the different police forces. But Ford says we've had a rise in violent crime. We're going to put more cops on the street. I personally happen to agree with that. I know there's others who think we should stop hiring cops and we should start hiring more mental health workers. I think there's a compromise there where we could probably provide the police with more resources and or maybe more training. I I don't think that we stop hiring cops. I think if anything, we do need more of them. So I'm good with this. It's the process that has some people confused. Number one, no fee to go to the Ontario Police College. No fee. Tuition free. In any industry. Hmm. And I'm thinking about nursing in particular. Mm -hmm. Do you know how avoidable the crisis in healthcare was if we'd had more nurses? Do you know how many more nurses we would have if we waived the tuition? I think that if we as a society, and I think that there's some things we can agree on, if we agree that we need more police officers, or sorry, let's do the nurses. If we agree we need more nurses, if we agree that we need more radiation or who are the people that do x-rays? What are those people called? Yeah, you the know what techs. I mean. yeah, 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 all of the techs. If yeah. we agree that we need more of those, if yeah. we agree that we need more whatever, cut the tuition. It's a major, major barrier for a lot of people that might be incredible in that field. Make it free as long as they promise to work here for, say, five years. Right. We'll make our money back and we'll have a much more functional society. So I don't have a problem with him waiving that fee. Some people have a problem with the fact that he's also eliminating the requirement for post-secondary education, meaning you no longer need to have a university degree or a college diploma to apply to be a police officer. I think that's brilliant. Okay. I think that this should carry on across the board. Okay, so a couple of things on this. The two things that I saw the most that kind of stuck out to me yesterday when um, when this was information was out there, number one, it, well, the the aside from the medical thing that you brought up, which I totally agree, why aren't we doing a little bit more in the medical field where we definitely need people too? Also, where are the resources at? And a lot of people would argue we don't spend enough on resources. The root cause and the reason why we need so many great police officers, I stress great police officers, please, no shitty ones, uh, on our forces is because of the what? Violence, yep. drugs, crime, mental health, huge things, right? Where was the where was this co-announcement that coincides with this to help that? Because a lot of people believe if you attack that head on and and, it, and get more people trained there appropriately, get more resources available to more people, then you will actually help police out a lot. A lot of the calls that they get have something to do with mental health in one way or another. There's crisis, there's all kinds of things, and that's where it can stem from. So fix the root cause. That point I totally agree with. I'd like to see more there as well. So I'm with you 100% if you say it. I'm also with you on the medical thing. Where's where's the health there? And for that matter, there's a lot of different industries that should get money. So we could have that convo all day. When it comes to the education, a couple of things for me. I don't hate that just because I know what it takes because I actually had a friend just Finally passed the program and he's a police officer now and it took him a while. He failed the first time um, and I won't name him, <laughs> but he, he failed the first time and it wasn't really to do with you're not going to be a good cop. It's a very rigorous program. There is very hardcore training involved and I don't just mean physically. It's education. You are educated. You have to know what's right and what's wrong and, and all the details that go with that. You have to know how to approach certain situations and you are training that on that. And then 
you are tested on it after you're done. You still have to undergo all those tests. People were talking, commenting yesterday as if they're handing guns over to a grade 12 graduate. That's, That's not, not what's happening even here. close to what's happening here. So talk about lack of education. Why don't you get educated on how that process works first and foremost before you comment on it? But I can't tell you first, of course, from my own experience. But again, I have a friend who went through it and I'm telling you it was a lot. And he's a good person. He plans to be a good cop, all those things. And he had to undergo a lot of training uh, to finally get to where he is now. So people are going through that and it is a process. So police college is one thing, then the actual training, and then you have to actually get a test to even go to the force. So what is fine arts? What does a fine arts degree have anything to do with that? Because that's one example of something you could just have in order to be a cop previous to this announcement, right? Yeah. And I mean, this is the problem with it across the board. I personally am not in favor of any minimum requirement that says you just have to have a post-secondary education. That, to me, helps nothing. That's elitist shit, and it's nothing more than an obstacle or barrier that keeps otherwise great candidates out of jobs. I have a high school diploma. I'll admit it. Oh, look at stupid Scott. You dummy. (laughs) I don't think... Not having a university degree or a college diploma has prevented me from doing anything no. in my career that I've wanted to do. Mm-hmm. In fact, even though I don't have that that university degree and I didn't take that college radio program, I'm still, right or wrong, I'm still considered an expert communicator. I've had offers to teach radio and I didn't even take the program. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. I could have gone and gotten a degree in English when I left high school. That was 25 years ago. Is that still relevant to do any of the jobs that are being advertised on Indeed or LinkedIn or wherever else right now? No, of course not. The fact that you just need any degree, like Kat said, fine arts. The fuck does a fine arts degree have to do with policing and public safety? It has nothing to do with it. But you would check that box, whereas I who's actually done a, an extensive amount of work with the police. I've been the chair of Crime Stoppers. I wouldn't be eligible because I don't have a fine arts degree. It, the whole thing was stupid from the start. If they're going to require post-secondary, they have to require a specific program, and it should only be relevant for a certain number of years. You want to tell me some some 60-year-old who took a, a basket weaving 45 years ago is more qualified to be a police officer. Can you get a degree in that? Whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. So certain industries, yeah, you should absolutely, you have to have a degree in certain things. Like general arts and science, you can't even get into, if I'm not mistaken, you can't get into like nursing programs and stuff without that. That's important. Those are base. When it comes to medical, I don't fuck around. You absolutely have to be educated appropriately. But any other industry outside that, I'm trying to think if there's other ones too. There's a lot of very important ones that for me, your education matters. Absolutely. But- where are all the apprenticeships for everything? You know what I mean? Because how much do you learn being in in that zone in that moment? Like, broad, obviously, we can only speak from a broadcasting standpoint because that's all we, we're doing. But I remember learning so much in my co-op and internships that I could have stayed in there instead of school. And this is not a knock on going to school for things because I still think you can learn things, of course. But there's there needs to be more doors open, especially when we're struggling in certain industries, to find good people, right? I mean... Let them have experience because experience, 
I'm going to say matters over over the education a lot of the time. It takes time, just like the education does as well. But how many times have you studied what you're doing in your life right now? Let's say you're going to school for what you're, whatever it is. I don't care if it's computer sciences. I don't give a shit. Whatever it is. How many times did you sit there in a class or take a test or do a project that is not relevant to what you're doing right now. Right. I mean, it happens all the time, right? Yes. So in those, I mean, I, I would love for things to get looked at again and, and us to go over it and comb through it once more. But it, it's just, it isn't the way. To teach even for us in broadcasting, in, in some cases, you do need to gra- have graduated the program, which is laughable because I'm thinking a lot of people who did graduate the program aren't even in this freaking industry, and here we are. It's, uh, it's almost laughable in the sense, too, that, an ongoing joke at just about every station in the country is a lot of the kids that come out of the radio programs need to be completely retrained because they didn't learn relevant stuff to broadcasting in 2023 in school. They come out of here with a very uh, a, a very limited skill set in a limited number of areas. It's not like police college. Once you've taken police college, you know everything from the criminal code to how to get handcuffs off when you can't find the key. It's very comprehensive. Not all programs are like that. I think that companies shouldn't be allowed to require post-secondary education Mm -hmm. unless they can demonstrate why it's absolutely necessary. And that would include specifying the program. Hey, if uh, if you run a bioscience company, you have a it's totally reasonable to expect people to have taken biology and science in school to work for you. Yeah, of course. But if it's just any post-secondary degree, what does that have to do with anything? Mm-hmm. It's a stupid requirement. Get rid of that shit. In fact, it should be outlawed unless the company can demonstrate why. Now, when it comes to policing, you also mentioned mental health. Mm-hmm. It's a huge problem Massive right now. Problem. And that's Partially, what's fueling this rise in violent crime? It is mental health issues and drug abuse. Why are we having mental health issues and drug abuse problems en masse all of a sudden? It's very simple. The economy's in the shitter. We've been telling you this for two years. When the economy goes down, people get angry. They get squirrely. They get desperate. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if we keep making sure that the middle class has no money in their pocket... Just watch this shit keep going on. This is not necessarily just a mental health crisis. It's a financial crisis amongst the middle class. And that's what has good people doing bad things or good people who just can't figure out how to cope. People that are about to be evicted saying, you know what? Fuck it. I will try heroin. Well, now we've got another junkie. Great. Mm. Thanks. And that's the way these things happen. You've got to fix the economy and the crime will start to solve itself. In the meantime, we need more cops. We can't have people getting shanked yeah. on the subway. Yeah. We just can't. Good, we can't have yeah. this. Good cops are important. And and again, I go back to just trust that if you don't know anything about what the policing um uh, requirements are or what they do in those cor- in those courses. I don't know what, how you phrase it, but what they do, you can look into it and, and see. And it is, uh, you could talk to anyone who's been through it even. And I'm sure they'd be happy to tell you what they go through. And it's extensive training. What do we do with these 1,703 people that are currently over in Sudan that, uh, uh, actually, no, there's 1,703 Canadians in Sudan, which is basically devolved into a civil war over there in yeah. East Africa. 573 of them have asked the Canadian government for help to get out. Mm-hmm. And about 100 have been taken out. Not by us, by the way. The prime minister says we have one of our big military planes over in the region, 
but it hasn't gone on any of the missions. So far, the Germans, the British, and the Americans have rescued Canadians. The Canadians haven't rescued any Canadians yet. Are, are we just like waiting for our turn? Are we supposed to be like tagged in or how does that work? Well, the prime minister said, well, you know, you got to coordinate with the other countries and who's going to land when and all that sort of thing. And maybe it just comes okay. down to a matter of practicality and that the Americans are far better at this. They do it all the time. The British, arguably, a lot better at this shit than us because we don't do that very often. Maybe we should just book everything through the U.S. military and say, hey, we got some people over there. We'll throw you some bucks and get our guys yeah, out. Yeah, or use our aircraft if you need to. Here, you know how, you know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I not know. only do you have to make sure the plane lands without getting shot at, you've also got to have soldiers there to protect the planes and the people who are going to get on that plane. And we're not talking like an Emirates A380. This is not a luxurious flight. It's a military plane with like fold-down yeah, seats and a yeah. single seat belt. But of course, you're just thankful to get out. That's I don't think anybody thing. cares if you're not being served in the middle of the flight. I mean, so get me out. by my math, there's still close to 500 people that are in Sudan that want out. I, I don't know why Canada still hasn't done anything to get them out. I, I mean, militarily sending a plane to bring them to Ottawa or wherever they're going to mm -hmm. go. But apparently we do have a plane over there somewhere. We're just sort of waiting. Okay. At what point do we say, leave now or you're stuck there? Because we hear these things all the time. And hey, if you happen to end up uh, on a vacation in Costa Rica and a civil war breaks out in Costa Rica, ooh, shit, nobody saw that coming. Okay. I'm going to count on my government to get us out. If you have a Canadian passport, the government should always help you. But there's got to be limits, right? I mean, this has been going on for a while now. We're going to get everybody out, the 573 that say they want out. What about the other 700 people over there? If they decide in two, three weeks, shit, it's really getting bad. Can you get me out? Yeah. Do we send our armed forces over there to get a handful of people out of there that should have left already? Well, I don't know. I don't, I, that's the thing is I don't think you can force people to get out. If, Like you said, if that's the case, if they're, if they're, this is a choice that they're deciding to make, then yeah, I think it's one of those things where you're going to have to be stuck with it. You know, it's not the same because we're talking about, we're talking about war and we're talking about death and that's horrible. Um, but it kind of reminds me of those COVID times of like, hey, you should probably get out now, Canadians, or you you may not be able to get back home. And there were a good handful of people who were like, nah, it's fine. I'll be able to get back home that were stuck wherever they were for like a decent amount of time. You got to use your brain on this and decide. And some of those people will stay back and, and stand by it because they have family there. And that's the reason they're there. They're there to try to protect their family. Maybe they feel as though they can't travel. Whatever the case is. I mean, yeah, if it gets too dangerous, you're not going to be able to go back again, which is horrible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tourism Minister Neil Lumsden. I have no idea who that is. I've wow. never met him, never heard his name What's mentioned up, before. I don't know. Hello, Mr. Lumsden. He says an investigation is in the works regarding the Greater Toronto Hockey League. This is minor hockey. Mm. Lumsden made the announcement yesterday after the NDP called for an investigation into the league over reports of teams being sold for large amounts of money. While Lumsden pointed out that the Ministry of Tourism, Culture and Sport has no authority over the GTHL, the investigation will be independent. This comes after a TSN report 
that a prospective buyer detailed negotiations in 2019 and 2020 regarding the purchase of the Humberview Huskies Minor Hockey Association for $375,000. Holy shit. Mm. I'm not surprised. There's a couple of different things at play here. If people are trading those teams for that kind of money, that's crazy. I do believe there should be a couple of different tiers of minor sports, sports that are available to kids. Every city, basically every city, has their not-for-profits. Here's your uh, your your Brantford Minor Baseball, and you can sign up for, I don't know, 200 bucks, and you play baseball this summer, and you get a little participation trophy at the end. We might have some hot dogs or pizza, and you're on your way. Bam, that's good. That's the way it was when I grew up. Some, in some cases, particularly if it's for elite athletes that have a path to the pros and that sort of thing, or would like to, yeah, there could be a pay-to-play type scenario there. Actually, I don't mean pay-to-play. I mean for-profit, where you bring in, I don't know, Mitch Marner is going to coach your team. Well, if you want Mitch Marner to coach your team, you're going to pay for Mitch Marner's time. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing I understand. But when teams are selling for almost half a million dollars, that's where this gets a little fucked up. That's crazy. Is that, do you think, people who want to make money off of families playing hockey, or is that some very wealthy dad whose kid wasn't good enough to make the team and said, fuck it, I'll buy the team then? I didn't think about that. Are they profitable? No, that's the thing. Like, so, yeah, like I'm just trying to figure out how much money they make a year. And is this like, so that investment doesn't make sense is what you're saying. Like, I wouldn't know. From an I investment the, standpoint, unless the, yeah. the goal is keep it until you can sell it for more. It doesn't make money on a day-to-day basis okay. if they're just relying on ticket sales. Hey, come watch our GTHL playoff right. game for $300. So it's not an investment, essentially. Unless, like you said, you're going to, unless it ends up being okay and you hold on to it for like 25 years, let's say. It's I, not really an investment. I feel like those municipal type leagues, the, the regular ones that you can sign your kids up for, which, as I understand it, the GTHL is, those were always not for profit. I don't understand okay. how anybody yeah. can own it. This league must have a constitution God. and, yeah, I and don't rules. Know. See, that's a new world for me. Like, I've got no idea how that works. But it, but when you bring up that point about a wealthy parent wanting their kid to be on the team, I think I could totally see that happening. So can I. <laughs> I could totally see that happening. That's not unbelievable in any way. Yeah, there yeah. is a lot of parents that are like that, that yeah. are thinking, I got to do it for my kid and I'm going to buy that team because I don't like that coach and I'm going to fire that coach. Let's imagine keep everything having in perspective that kind here. of fu money, though. Like, if that's the case, like, imagine having that much fu money. Be like, well, I'm going to buy the team. And fucking get you out of here. Like, you, congratulations. Like, that was a waste of money. You couldn't think of one single thing that would be a better use of three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars than <laughs> exactly. buying a minor hockey team. You could probably find a nice little small condo somewhere for that. You know what? Though? You could invest in a lot of other things. It does happen, though. I mean, I don't have any experience in hockey here, but when it comes to lacrosse, there's junior A teams, and right. that's basically as high as you can go at the minor level. And and I've seen offers for big money to buy teams, and I wow. thought you attract 50 fans a game at 10 bucks a head, 500 bucks a night is the max revenue. Right. And these people are offering five figures it's for hard. teams. It's crazy to me. Maybe they're using it to launder money. I never thought of Look that. Look at me just throwing shit out. I'm just saying things. I don't know a thing, but I'm just saying. Maybe. Let's do a couple uh, <laughs> lighter things before we wrap it up because we're almost at time. I feel like it's been a very long time since any of us 
has seen any progression in the marshmallow industry. Mm. They've just sort of been there for all these years, yeah. getting hard in your pantry if they're open. And, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of innovation in that area until now. Jet Puffed is the name of the company. They've unveiled new for 2023 brand new limited edition marshmallows that change color when they're hit by heat, like Ooh. when you put them over a campfire. That's friggin' cool. They say the pink marshmallows are going to turn orange. The blue marshmallows will turn green. The transformation happens very quickly. After 10 seconds of being exposed to the flame, they will start to change color. Which, by the way, is exactly how long you should keep a marshmallow in the fire or you're going to end up with a black marshmallow. Yeah, does it turn black or is it just like crusty orange? If you burn the <laughs> shit out of it, it will. Are we, ask are we asking the ingredients or am I not supposed to ask how this works? I don't think you want to know if you want to enjoy a marshmallow in the future. I don't think you want to know. I'm not a big marshmallow fan anyway, but I'm just trying to picture this like for camps and and whatever, campfires all summer long, wherever it is. We do a lot of fires outside. And if I brought home marshmallows that were colorful to begin with and then changed colors in the heat, I'd fucking win the day right yep. then and there. Like no matter what happened, I win. I think that that's kind of neat. I would give it a try. But again, I'm a little afraid of how this works. I trust, I mean, I'm sure the science of it is cool, but are we supposed to like actually eat this? And and what will happen to our bodies when we do eat it? You're wondering if it'll turn your poo orange and stuff? <laughs> does Probably. Change, does it change back again before, <laughs> before it heads out? What else does it do? Does it morph into something different? Only if your poo is exposed <laughs> to flame. <laughs> don't shit in the fire. I don't do that either. <laughs> no, next one. The next time some prick cuts you off in traffic don't blame them blame their parents new research says people who don't follow the rules of the road are very 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 likely to have parents that are also bad drivers the top bad driving habit that we inherit from our parents is speeding the uh yeah this makes perfect sense okay. to me who usually takes kid out to teach him how to drive. I taught both my kids how to drive, and in hindsight, that's probably not a good idea because while I do have no tickets on my record, I'm not a very good driver. I don't really pay attention. <laughs> sometimes I'm fast. Sometimes I'm slow. I multitask. <laughs> I I eat. I drink a coffee, and I don't really give a shit about anybody else sometimes. Were you, I, were you one of those ones like, just don't do what I'm doing, kid? Well, why were you doing the drinking motion? I don't uh, do... <laughs> <laughs> oh, the guzzle, coffee. Guzzle. It was a coffee. No, okay. you had the coffee and then things happening. Um, I I never thought about this before. Like, w not at all. But I will say there are good habits I inherited. It was my dad that taught me, too. My mom wanted nothing to do with us being taught. She would grasp the side of the car, the door, so hard when we were in the car driving and she was there, like, to the point where we never did it ever again. We did it a couple times and then we're like, don't worry about it. So my dad taught us how to drive. And one thing I will say is I think... My confidence in driving does come from my dad. My dad's confident. Doesn't matter what kind of a storm. He's like, fucking right. Bring it on. Betsy. Uh. And that was the name of the car growing up. Betsy. Bring it on. And I feel like I didn't inherit that because I watched him with this confidence behind the wheel of like a, it was always like just a shitty car. Like we never had any fancy dancy cars or anything like that. Like, and I watch him navigate the shittiest weather. And I think to this day, that's why I'm not scared at all. I'm not scared of weather. I don't like it. I don't like the bad weather, but I feel like I kind of gained confidence. He, he never really had road rage. He would say like swear words, but not swear words, like son of a gun and things like that behind the wheel. Maybe I have more rage than him because <laughs> I will say full blown swear words, no problem. But I, I think there might be a little something to this. 
Speeding is the number one bad driving habit that we inherit or learn from our parents. Okay. Number two is road rage. Okay. Okay. I've always been careful to not lose my shit you know in front of the kids, but there's times when I was alone in the car thinking, well, here it is. Today's the day. I'm going to throw hands. You know what messed up about that, that you just say that? My kids are obviously not old enough to drive. They're five and four. If we're waiting at a light or something, they'll go, come on. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even say a word anymore. They're the ones that are like, come on, move it along, man. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe I say that too much. So it's good to know now. Maybe I should just settle the hell down. Poor spatial awareness. That means not leaving enough room between you and the car in front. Bad, bad, bad. And it also means drifting into other lanes. Mm. That's a not paying attention thing. You're not fully focused on the road drifting out of your lane. No. Doesn't happen. No. Being a bad parallel parker is apparently something that you inherit from your parents. I still remember the lesson I got when I was 16 years old taking driver's ed. Pull up beside the car in front of you. Line up your mirror with their mirror and then do a full turn this way and then you do a quarter turn that way and then you turn it back this way and bam, you're in the space. It works every time. Do they even teach that anymore? Like in the courses? No. It was probably too much to grasp for some of the dummies that are on the road now. So they dumbed the course down to just basically, did you drive from A to B and not hit anybody? Great. Here's your license. Seems like that's what we do. Bad. Sudden moves. Like cutting people off or rapidly uh, accelerating or changing lanes is the other bad habit that we learn from our parents. But we also learn some good ones. The number one good driving habit that people say they got from their parents was always using their turn signal. Okay. Uh, That's important. Yeah, we should all do. Always do that. Staying calm behind the wheel. Mm Mm-hmm. Driving the speed limit. Moving over so other cars can pass mm-hmm. and letting people merge. Mm. I, uh, yeah, these are all things that I remember teaching my kids, but there's certain things that you focus on more than others. The stay calm behind the wheel is probably the most valuable lesson you can teach your kids if you've got to teach yeah. them how to drive because it's very easy in that situation, particularly when you're young and inexperienced, to freak out. Like, holy fuck, now what am I going to do? And then you have that Jesus take the wheel moment. You don't need that. If you just stay calm, brake is the best you can, and and steer to a safe spot. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. You don't freak out and start jerking all over the place. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a weird way to say That's a whole other thing you could do behind the wheel. Um, (laughs) And I've never talked to them about that either. I would say the two C's for me for sure. I want to teach, like, calm is absolutely right. There's been times where I have been like in a situation where it could have been bad, right? Where like I break as quickly as I can, but I don't, you know, those moments like in between that seem to last forever, even though they could only be two seconds where you're like, oh, I could, I may or may not hit this person, right? Like those moments, it's true. Like the, the look on my face would probably calm though. Like, oh fuck. But then I don't, I don't end up hitting them. And that goes with the confidence though. So I think it's a mix of both. Stay calm, be confident in your actions and obviously focus and pay attention. Don't be that prick. Don't don't be looking over here at that thing and moving over there and looking down on your phone. Come on. It's funny. I remember it. Well, actually, I'm proud because I know my kids remember the lessons. Before it was, uh, there was a big awareness campaign for it. it. Maybe even before it was officially a law. I was teaching my kids, if there is a cop on the side of the road, get over one lane. If there's a tow truck on the side of the road, get over. Just because it's an open lane there doesn't mean you need to drive by them doing 100 kilometers an hour. They're working. 
It's dangerous. Get over one lane. Yeah. And then when they finally did do this big initiative, the get over initiative, if there's an emergency vehicle on the side, you got to move over at least one lane. I remember my daughter calling me and saying, ha, look at that. You taught me how to do that. There. Long before it was a thing. There you go. So you it's can true. have an influence on your kids when you're teaching them how to drive. It's actually amazing that, by the way, on that law, that that did come into effect like kind of recently. Strange. It should have been like that for a long time. I felt that way. Well, one time when I was pulled over on the side of the road and I did not get a ticket, by the way, it's amazing when you're on the side of the 401 or the QEW or the 403 or whatever, 400, it is amazing how much wind comes from just one car going yeah, by you. Yeah. Imagine a parade of cars going yeah. by you at 120 kilometers yeah. an hour. It's going to be hard to do your actual job with that going on. Not to mention, one prick loses control and everybody's dead. Why do we still have highways? Off topic, maybe, and we'll wrap this up soon. But why do we still have some highways? I'm, I'm thinking about the 400 specifically, where once I was involved in an accident as a as a passenger, because my friend wasn't was driving way too close. Um we have live lanes and no shoulders in some spots. Why the hell is that? What's going on on the 400? The 400 is a, a disaster. It's a disaster. They need to redo it. But the problem that I think they're dealing with is real estate. It's a very hilly highway. A lot of down, a lot of up. And I don't know that they really could expand it enough that they could put in a proper median and proper shoulders. But there's a lot of area where it's just not good. It was brutal. Like, I'm telling you, when I thankfully, we were able to drive. Like, I couldn't imagine if we were in a crash where the car was a write-off and we had to, like, get out. Because it was dangerous to even try to step outside the vehicle for her to get the information from the guy. We, we all agreed, like, just go to the next ramp. Just drive if you can drive to the next ramp. Because I was like, this is dangerous. There's cars, like, whizzing by. There's no shoulder. There's not even a shoulder. It's a live lane and people just want to get through. It's a scary situation. We got to go, guys. Have yourselves a fantastic hump day. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of After 9. I'm I'm wrestling with a few different topics for tomorrow, but I think it's going to be a good one. It will be good. Check us out tomorrow and have yourself a fantastic day. Bye, friends. After months of speculation, Aaron Rodgers is coming to the New York Jets. Right after the trade, Jets players called their families like, I might go to the Super Bowl as a player this year. (laughs) A man in Idaho recently sent a Guinness World Record after he passed a 40-pound weight from hand-to-hand 100 times. That story again, not much to do in Idaho. (laughs) Yelp is now letting users add videos to their reviews. (laughs) Now every review is like, the food was good, but the servers were stiff in front of the camera. One star. A moose recently walked into a movie theater in Alaska and ate popcorn from the trash can, or as Regal Cinemas calls it, a medium.